dissing the freedoms that we that we enjoy here in this country. Okay. So Arnold Schwarzenegger on a CNN interview. Here we go. First of all, you have to understand that as soon as the virus happened and we have uh, finally people, more and more people uh, from government have, you know, kind of acknowledged the fact that there is a virus uh, and they were kind of very late, may I remind you, in warning the people. But finally, when they did warn us and it did spread and we had to kind of cancel our Arnold's Classic Sports and Fitness Festival, in Columbus, and we were only allowed to have a limited crowd last March, uh, meaning a year ago, a year and a half ago. Uh, that's when I realized that we all have to now come together on this thing. And so I started putting posts out there about washing your hands regularly and wearing a mask and to do social distancing and to follow the kind of rules that the experts put out there and to face the fact that this is here and this is going to grow and it's going to expand and it's going to really affect a lot of people's lives. And uh, so now, cut a year and a half later, we are still in a mess. And, uh, you know, there's still people that live in denials. There's still people that don't believe in masks. There's still people out there that say, well, we don't have to do social distancing and all this kind of stuff. And I just think that uh, people ought to be reminded over and over that the experts are saying that we have to wear masks, especially when you go indoor. The experts are saying we still should wash our hands regularly. We should still do social distancing, especially now with this new the comeback of the virus, which is the fourth round now, uh, that we have to really go and work together on that. And uh, there is misinformation out there. The Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. 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 Hey, everybody. Welcome back to yet another riveting edition of the Cerebral Entertainment Podcast. I am James, and with me as always is my good friend Colt. Absolutely, dude. Sir? Uh-huh. I don't even feel like I need to say much of anything about what's going on in my life lately, uh, because you've had some some pretty big deals, so some pretty big experiences mm. yeah. in yeah. your life since we recorded <clears throat> last for sure, so... We got to start out with the new addition to the Brocado family, mm-hmm. Mr. Marshall Brocado. Mr. Marshall Brocado, yes. He is, he has arrived. He's here and he's kicking and struggling to stay awake when I got here today. Yep. He was napping. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, man, so let's start there. How's how's being a dad? Was it, has it like has there been any curveball like type of surprises that you didn't really see coming that really stick out? Um so first off, I have to say that no one can be prepared for what happens in a delivery room <laughs> yes. unless they've been there before. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, me and you talked off air about this a little bit and said that we might like try to get into this on the show a little bit. They should <laughs> talk about that more. Like it's, it, I mean, we didn't go through anything like, you know, disastrous or anything like that, but it's just, it's an experience yeah. that that is something that's kind of freaky to go through but it's not freaky in the moment because you know what's happening right mm-hmm. like you know what the end result is going to be here so and i don't know it's just it's, it's it's just odd that like what happened you know you you see a delivery on tv and it's like okay the woman screams for a few minutes and now here's a baby that's crying and it's all clean and, you know, they give it to the mom and she holds it and then she leaves and goes home the next day. 
and she's walking around and, you know, <laughs> living life, you know, with a baby now. Yeah, none of that's factual. <laughs> none of that is factual. How are we getting away with this on TV? This makes no sense to me. <laughs> Edited for television, I yeah. guess. I mean, I, I know I'm not telling anybody any new news, um, especially because a lot of people have kids uh, and they've been through this situation. Right. It's just new, just new for me. Kind of had an idea what I was getting into. Um, so to make this not such a long story, um, we were supposed to be induced this previous Thursday. Yeah. Originally, which would have put us at 39 weeks. Um, plans changed when my wife's, we went for a regular appointment and my wife had high blood pressure. They wanted to keep an eye on it. We checked her blood pressure again the next morning. It was still high. And they just had us go straight to the hospital. Didn't go back to the doctor. We went straight to the hospital. Kept a you know eye on her. From, we got there about noon. Kept an eye on her for about four hours while we were there. Blood pressure never went down. Um, and it was actually kind of starting to get worse. She was getting a headache. Things like that, which are all signs of preeclampsia. Mm-hmm. And so they, about four o'clock, decided, let's we're going to go ahead and start getting this thing going. Just didn't give us much time to, you know, because in our heads we're like, okay, well, he may, he could come sooner. We get it. But there's no signs that he might be here sooner. Right. So we're probably going to be induced on the 19th and everything's going to be go from there. Um. So now, just one day, they're like, okay, you have high blood pressure. Call us tomorrow if you have high blood pressure. And then all of a sudden now we're in it. Like it, this is happening now. So there was no time to be nervous or anything like that. It was just they move her to a room. They start putting her on, you know, all the IVs she needs to be on and all that good stuff. And we start the process of getting him here. Um, he was a turd through the whole thing. We had awesome doctors who just kicked ass the entire way through, whether it be the doctor who was with her the entire time through the process whether it be the actual delivery doctor. Um, We had multiple doctors tell us that if we had any other doctor, any other delivery doctor, they would have done a C-section way earlier in the day and Mm. just said, let's, let's cut it. Let's get it. Let's get it, get him out of here. That because it's like the, like the safer route, the easier, safer route kind of. It is. um, Because they don't, are they the ones that perform the C-section? They hand it over to a surgical doctor. No, she would have done, she she would have done that too. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Now I, I assume there, that may be a thing. Like there may be delivery doctors that only do the actual delivery, but I can't think that because they probably don't have like surgery because a lot of times C-sections are like emergencies, right? So I can't imagine they just have a, you know, a doctor on call for an emergency C-section. Maybe. Yeah, but they have other emergency <clears throat> surgeries, so I don't know. But yeah, true. At any rate. But anyway, so the, the thing was is that he, so they were putting my wife on Pitocin, mm-hmm. which is what is supposed to force or force your body to start contract do con, doing contractions. Right. Problem is Marshall didn't like contractions. So his heart rate would dip every time she would have a contraction. So it was fighting that for a while. Well, then it started getting too low. So they took her off the Pitocin. So now she's still having contractions, but it's not near as much, near as fast as they need, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So basically fought that all day long. And then eventually his heart rate got back up to normal and he was good and ready to go again. We put him back on Pitocin and got him out of here. But still, 27 hours later, I mean, that's that's a lot of labor. And again, another thing I've never been through before, but when you say 27 hours of labor, that seems like a long time. 
But to me, in my head, I've always thought you're pushing for 27 hours. Yeah, that's yeah. not what labor is. Right. Like labor is a lot of just you laying there mm-hmm. and letting your body do what it needs to do to release a baby out. Yeah, you know, I never, I didn't really know that. I've never been involved in anything like that before. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, it was actually about 20, 27 hours altogether, but four hours of pushing. Okay, which four hours of pushing is a freaking. Lot. I was about to say mm-hmm. that's. For, from two males talking, mm-hmm. you know, no, don't take that the wrong way, ladies, because I'm sure that's a lot of pushing to uh-huh. do for four hours. Yeah. And, and the funny thing is, is like, so I, you know, of course I was in the room the whole time. And just at one point, the doctor was like, hey, you want to grab this leg? And I was involved the rest of the way. <laughs> that was it. It was just like, hey, grab her leg and push it back. And uh, now every time she pushes, I'm holding that leg. And that's, that's how it happened for the next four hours until he was actually here. Nice. Yeah. So anyways, yeah. So long story short, that that's the main things we went through. Um, so then after that, he, he was having issues with jaundice. So we had to put him under a, called a bilirubin light for anybody who doesn't know that bilirubin is what makes them, their body yellow and stuff from the jaundice. Mm-hmm. So we had to deal with that for a couple of days. So we had to stay an extra day at the hospital that sucked because for one, we have a newborn baby that we can only hold 30 minutes at a time Yeah, because he has to be under the light for as close to 24 hours as possible. So every three hours we pulled him off the light to feed him, uh, see, feed him, burp him, change his diaper and cuddle him, whatever we could for a couple of minutes just to put him back underneath the light. Mm. And then he had to do that for another three hours and they did that for 24 hours. Um, well, then his numbers had gone down, but not enough. So they had to put him on another, put him on again. So then they come up to this next morning and they say, listen, you know, his numbers have come down significantly. And even if they spike back up, I don't think they're going to spike into a bad range. So if you guys want to go home, you're perfectly fine to go home. So of course we did go to the pediatrician the next day for his first visit and his numbers had spiked. They had doubled. Mm. Well, luckily, apparently there's a bilirubin light in in our area there's like one in the county and it was in farmington so we were able to go pick it up and bring it home so we didn't have to take him back to the hospital and put him under surveillance there we were actually able to bring a light home and put him on the light here very nice was that like on facebook marketplace or something where'd you find it no at? this was uh our nice. uh, pediatrician actually found it oh, okay but nice. but they even told us when we were first there they're like you know they used to have a light that you could take home but they're like, there's only like one in the county and it's, it's impossible to get a hold of. Gotcha. So we were thinking, okay, well, if we get home and his numbers aren't any better, we're going to have to bring him back in. We're going to be at the hospital for another night because he's going to be under the lights again. Well, when the doctor called us, they're like, Hey, uh, so his numbers did spike, but we got a hold of a light for you. You can just take home. We're like, that's freaking sweet. You know, I was kind of nervous about it cause I didn't know really what we were doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is all like you know, very short, short amount of time that we're learning any of this stuff that we've never heard of before in our life. But, uh, kind of nerve wracking too, because you bring him home and it's like this gown that just has arms on it and then Velcros to this light. That's just this table. So it's like a small table and then the light, the UV light comes up from inside it. And then you just have this gown that Velcros down to it, that your baby is Velcroed underneath (laughs) all his arms stick out of it and his head stick out of it. That's it. Wow. Yeah. So, What's interesting to me, and I don't know if you've heard of this before, but we've had a lot of friends who we've told them that he had to be on the light. And all of them have said, 
their doctors just had them put them in the put them in a window for a couple hours a day because it's UV light. That that's what it actually does. But apparently, like being in a window, that light isn't near as good as having the actual UV light directly on them. Right. Which makes sense. But I don't know. It's just weird. I, I wonder if those people you talk to, if their experience with it, if the numbers were so high for their children that they put in the window like a plant. You mean that there were theirs weren't as high? I wonder if they if they were. Or I bet not. I bet I bet it's the opposite. I bet they're right. I bet they weren't near as high. Right, yeah. yeah. So, so that's why they had Marshall for sure get in a light because his numbers were so high. Mm-hmm. They wanted to see those come down. Right. The other babies might have just been kind of marginal, you yeah. know, more borderline. So right. wasn't that big of a deal. Yeah, stick him by the by the plant mm-hmm. right there on the <laughs> yeah. windowsill. He'll uh-huh. be fine. Yeah. Just plant him there. Yes. He'll be he'll be good for a little bit. Uh huh. Um, so yeah, so we got, we battled through that. We got through that. He's all good. And then, and when he was six days old, we went to a doctor's appointment in St. Louis and on the way back hitting rush hour traffic, a van decided to try to cross rush hour traffic right in front of me. Nothing I could do about it. And about 60 miles an hour, I slammed into a van with my wife and newborn baby in the backseat of the truck. That's crazy. Scary stuff. It was you know, I, I've, I had the feeling ever since he was born that like, this is my kid. Like this is, I do everything in my power to take care of this kid. Mm. But it's a new feeling when you go through like a vehicle wreck with a baby in the truck. Because even as the wreck is happening, like I can remember as I was hitting the van with my truck, I can remember the only thought going through my head was him and if he's going to be okay through this. Yeah. And I, so the van had come across the highway. Luckily he was trying to cut across to another road. Mm -hmm. So I had that road to try to turn down a little bit. So I slammed my brakes, tried to turn a little bit. Luckily I had that road because if I didn't, I would have T-bowed the guy and it would have been a lot worse situation. Yeah. Um, So I was able to turn a little bit. So my front driver's side hit his passenger, um, yeah, the front of his pa- the passenger side of the van and flipped him around to do a 180 and he hit another truck. Um, my truck, I just slammed on the brakes and tried to swerve as much as possible and I just held my brakes down until my truck finally stopped. And then my only thought was getting my wife and the baby out of the truck. Yeah. My wife jumped into high gear because she was, she was in the back seat with him. She, um, he only cried like a very small amount. And I don't think it was because he even knew what happened. It was because my wife was trying to get him out of the car seat so fast. Yeah. And it wasn't because she thought he was hurt. It was because of the airbag dust. She didn't want him breathing that in because mm. I don't know how harmful that is. Yeah. You know, so um, car seat was a badass. And and I know they say that they make car seats to, you know, do that. That's their job. But I mean, it was, there wasn't a scratch or a dent on it, even though the airbag came out. The paramedic had problems getting it out of the truck not because there was damage on the truck, just because it was in the truck that good. Nice. You know, so. But something I did learn, paramedics are not equipped for babies at all. They are not equipped for pediatrics at all. That's not cool. No, it's not. They don't have uh, like a baby cuff to take their blood pressure. pressure. Mm -hmm. They have very little equipment to do any kind of vitals for the baby. Like apparently they had some kind of O2 sensor deal that you're supposed to put on uh adult ears i guess that gives you their 
I think it's O2 pressure. That mm. sound that might that might sound stupid. I don't know. It's something. Yeah. But uh, they took that and put it on his foot to try to get a vital that way. Um, and they actually had to take um the car seat out of the truck and put him in that and then strap him to a gurney in the back of the back of the ambulance. Right. Yeah. Um, and just for anybody freaks out, he we didn't take him by ambulance because we, he was hurt. We took him because it was a precautionary thing. Right. And because I knew that I was going to have to be at the scene for at least another hour, probably until they got everything cleaned up, till I talked to the state trooper, till I got you know I got all my ducks in a row before I could leave. And I knew that if we could get him in a uh, an ambulance, that he was going to get to the hospital a lot sooner and be seen a lot sooner, just to precautionary wise, just to make sure that he was good. Yeah. Which he passed with flying colors. So they didn't have any issues or anything like that. So, um, don't know what's happening with my truck yet. Mm. I'm assuming it's told, but I'm hoping tomorrow I'll have some more answers on what that's going to be. Either they're going to cut me a check for, to go get a new truck or they're going to say, we're going to fix it and we'll see how long it's going to take to fix it. Wow. So fixing is probably, I saw pictures. <clears throat> it's probably going to take a bit. I, I don't think they're going to be able to fix it. It looked pretty jacked. Yeah, the pro- the problem is right now is that adjusters, so with COVID and everything going on, adjusters are trying their hardest not to have to go out and look at vehicles anymore. Right. So what they're doing is relying on auto body shops to do the assessment, to do the estimate, and then send it back to them, and then the insurance adjuster just goes by that. So I've actually sent um, all the pictures of it to the auto body shop that we're going to be taking it to, and they're basically saying it it's got frame damage it's you know it's it's a total loss there's no way we're going to be able to fix it say so i would the body's definitely jacked but what about the like the the, the mechanical parts of the truck it looked like that might have sustained something some kind of damage cuz uh-huh. i know the frame's a big deal obviously yeah <clears throat> but man what about your i mean radiator maybe or even over on the, on that side i don't know where your um where where your stuff's at like you know your all your battery stuff and your alternator. Obviously, I'm not a mechanic, if you know, <laughs> but and I know that when you sustain mechanical damage, it's a pretty pretty big deal, mm-hmm. you know. Compared, you know, the body is too. It's all expensive. So at any rate, well, the, the the biggest thing is that you know as well as I do is the the um the price of trucks right now is r- ridiculous. It's yeah. So that does play a big part in is it going to cost more to fix it or cost more? Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So. They're you know taking that into play of course because insurance doesn't want to pay more for to fix the truck if it's if it's more than it's worth but right. if it's less to fix it than it is to cut us a check then you know they'll they'll do that. So. I, I think in this situation though it's going to be one where it's going to be close. Yeah. Either way, mm-hmm. e- either it's going to be close. That, well, yeah, we're going to go ahead and fix it, but it costs almost as much or vice versa because it that it, you took a hard hit. Well, something else I learned too. From the auto body shop is that I guess they pa- apparently they passed a law where um, airbags deploying can't be considered damage to the truck anymore. Now, if it causes damage, so say like when the airbag comes out and it busts something in the dash, right? Something like that that can be considered damage. But before, you know, just even just a few years ago, if a if airbags deployed, it's a loss. They're not going to even worry about trying to fix it. Well, now it's a possibility that you know even though every de- every airbag deployed it may still be fixed. Gotcha. So I, I don't know. But you know, something else I thought about when I looked at my, looked at in the inside of my truck, you would think that where airbags are at, that there would be some kind of slot where the airbag could shoot itself out. Yeah, no. It's not. It's behind everything to where just... when it blows, it rips the ceiling down in your truck and everything else. It's yeah. crazy. 
I don't know if maybe, I don't know. I just. In today's day and age, I mean, right? <laughs> yeah. We're sending people to to the moon. <laughs> well, I mean, we've done that a long time ago. But they're sending rovers to Mars. I mean, come on. <laughs> we got little computers that we keep in our pockets. You can't mm-hmm. figure out a better way to do the airbag, honestly. Right. You know, I agree with that. But some a couple of things occur to me. It, it sounds like you've got some really, some new appreciations here. Mm-hmm. A, and I share this appreciation when I went through the birth of my, my kids. The delivery doctor, that doctor, that's like, you end up coming out of there with a respect for that person, right? It's not that they were doing, you know, they, they did all this medical, you know, education and, and, and their practice and things like that. They just delivered your baby and you just want to give them a hug and mm-hmm. buy them a Christmas gift mm-hmm. and, during the holidays. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, and maybe, maybe airbags that, that might be, did, did the airbags actually, did they, did they help sustain you from? Causing causing any injuries for you or, or the, Becky or the, the kid? Um, I don't really know. So I know the airbag that popped out of the steering wheel uh, burned my arm, but yeah. that's it. That's all the only thing that Just did. like like a fabric burn, like because it came out. And, yeah, like yeah. you can see all this right here. Yeah, which you can't really see it on the camera, but yeah, all this right here. Mm-hmm. Hair got burned. I can off see and that. Stuff. Yeah. Um, but. Other than that, I mean, the airbag came out from the left, but I don't think it ever touched me, mm-hmm. which I thought was weird too. Like, you know, you see, I guess, uh, demonstrations or something where an airbag comes out of a, a steering wheel, but is is it supposed to hit you? Like, isn't it supposed to kind of push you back? Or is that only, or is that demonstration only if you're not wearing a seatbelt? People get their noses broken from airbags. Yeah. It, it smashes you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the second vehicle that I've been in that have been, that's been... Um, in this kind of wreck where airbags deployed and I never got touched by the steering wheel airbag. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you're, you're actually going to go into it, which would be preferable, I would think. Like it, it's almost like putting something in front of you. That way, if you do come forward, mm-hmm. you just kind of bounce into it as opposed to it coming and smacking you right in the face. I wonder if air, do you think airbags, uh, like how fast they come out? Do you think that's just a, a rant or like a general thing? Or do you think it depends on like what angle you're hit from or... Or something like that. Like if I was T-boned, I wonder if that airbag would have came out harder um, versus like just the left side of my truck. And st- you know what I'm saying? I wonder if that's a thing. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I would imagine. We should talk to an airbag expert. We should. We should have one on the show next uh-huh. time. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I have no idea. I've never even been in an accident where an airbag came oh, really? out. <clears throat> yeah. I've only really been in several accidents, but only one that was really actually damaging to my vehicle. Um, I've been in... Um, I've been in three accidents that vehicles, well, th- if this is totaled, this would be the third accident I've been in where the vehicle is totaled. Wow. Uh, two, one of them I wasn't driving, two of them I was. Gotcha. But even the two that I was driving weren't my fault. The I was in an old Honda Accord in Farmington area, and I went through a stoplight, and a drunk guy decided to try to cut across to Taco Bell in front of me, and I hit his back tire, and his tire came off and took off flying down the road. And then, uh, they ended up tolling my, my car on that. Um, and then this of course. And then when I was in high school, I was in the passenger seat with a buddy of mine and a dump truck came over a hill on our side of the road. And it just, you know, gradually went back over to its side. Well, my buddy, 16 years old, Cuts, up, cuts off to the right to get out of the way of it and then overcorrects himself. We shoot across the road yeah. into trees and fence line and everything else. And a tree caught the, um, so right behind the back cab, 
you got like this much sticking out of the bed and a tree caught that and ripped the whole side of the bed off the truck. It's pretty creepy. Man. Yeah. The the other thing I was thinking of that you definitely appreciate, have a great appreciation for is car seats, which, you, which you alluded to. But mm-hmm. those things, I mean, th- those are awesome, mm-hmm. right? Especially the good ones. And PSA here, but they don't, I mean, the I say they, uh, whoever's in charge of such things, doesn't want you to like we have some older car seats for when my kids were were babies they've just been sitting in the garage for whatever um they don't want us to use those anymore like cause we thought about giving them away to somebody like giving them to, there's some organizations around where we give like old baby stuff and things like that mm-hmm. to people who don't have so much money but they won't take those or in and the the government the powers that be doesn't want the, us to give them to them because of the safety features being so much more updated mm-hmm. nowadays yep and so I thought that was so cool too. I mean, usually I would be like, well, "That's a waste," but in this case, man, they—it's just gotten so much more and more better. Yeah, car and seats so, basically have an expiration date on them, right? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, another thing I never thought about was if you have a car seat and it's in a wreck, you can't use that car seat anymore. Mm. Nobody would ever know if if I were to put that car seat right back in the car. Right. Nobody's ever going to know. Yeah. Because it's in perfect condition, but nobody's ever going to know if I were to use it again. However, how do I know that one little latch didn't get nudged or something? And then next time the car seat comes out, Yeah, you know, so you're not legally supposed to to use them again. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Mm -hmm. but cool thing is, is that if you go to a hospital right after a wreck that you had a car seat in, uh, social services will give you a new car seat. Really? For free. No kidding. Yep. We actually got one while we were there. Sweet. Which we're going to give away because we don't necessarily need it. Luckily, we were in a situation where my parents had a car uh, had a car seat for their car. Mm-hmm. So my parents just drove up to the wreck site, picked me up, and then we drove to the hospital. And then I actually installed the car seat into their car while we were at the hospital and then put them in that to come back home. Nice. So we got okay. we got lucky there. And then we got... Um, you know we're we're sitting pretty with the uh, all the medical bills because the insurance is um the the guy who hit us they're taking fault for everything good so you know we're getting um yeah. all the necessary reimbursement that we need and medical bills paid for and all that kind of stuff for because i don't know if you know how much ambulance rides are oh yeah and emergency room rides oh yeah oh my god dude it's ridiculous i should hold off on calling that guy an a-hole then because that's what i was thinking of earlier i was like who's the a-hole that pulls out in front of you but it sounds like he's taking fault for it so it's good especially since everything turned out good seems to be it was a weird um i've talked to several people about this and you know Several people have told me that I would have got out of the truck and I would have beat that guy's ass and this, that, and the other. And my my thought was, he knows there was a newborn baby in the truck, and I hope that's punishment enough yeah. for him to know what he did. Right. To make a stupid decision like that, and that happened. I mean, I, I know he didn't mean, it's not like he meant to get hit by a truck. Correct. Um, it was just a bad decision, and hopefully it, his with his insurance raising, yeah, and the, hopefully if he's ever crossing an intersection again, he knows or you know he takes a little bit more uh, yeah. caution as far as you know when he makes a decision to go across and stuff like that. And the reflection, like you said, that there was a baby in that car, mm-hmm. you know, and things turned out okay, probably in large part because you were in a big truck mm-hmm. that was going to take a, a heavy hit Absolutely. like that, and, and so the the baby and, and you and your wife were shielded. Could have been a lot worse, mm-hmm. you know. So I mean. Another PSA here, but for people who are texting and driving or doing some things where you're not paying attention to the road, man, 
Um, if you've ever had any close calls or if you've ever actually had a wreck and caused some damage, man, it could it could get a lot worse. Mm-hmm. There could be a baby in that car, man. Be yep. careful out there. Don't drink and drive. Don't be stupid. Well, I mean, you know, and, and it's a weird scenario too because so the the back, you know, I have a I had a Silverado and the back um, seat isn't that big. Like there's not a sh- like a shitload of room back there. Mm-hmm. Um, so the day before... Or, I had, I had installed the base for the car seat in the back in the back seat of my truck behind the driver's spot, the driver's seat. Well, the day before, I went to take the car. We were going to take my car, my truck up to the to the city, and I put the car seat in there, and it wouldn't fit because of how far my seat goes back. So I actually moved the car seat and base over to the passenger side of the truck, right? Which is just like one of those signs because it's on the opposite side of the truck. And if you look at, if you look, go to look at the truck right now from the passenger side, you wouldn't think there was anything wrong with the truck. Mm. It, there wasn't a, uh, uh, scratch or a dent on it yeah. anywhere, but it was just like the day before the wreck happens. I move that over to the other side. The other, the thing with that though, is, you know, afterwards my wife's like, well, I want to move the car seat in my car to the other side now. And I said, I understand the thought process there, but it's a fluke. Like you don't, yeah. as soon as you move it, you could get hit from that side. Right. You don't, you never know what's going to happen, mm-hmm. you know? So it, it just, it, it's something to keep in mind to think about from now on when I'm driving, whether I'm by myself or when I, whether I have, you know, the, my kid or my wife with me, it's just, you know, making, making sure you're making right decisions and trying to be as alert as possible when other people don't make right decisions. Right. Cause there was nothing, there was nothing I could do here in this situation. I'm just lucky. The two things that I'm, I feel so lucky about is that one, there was no vehicle in the turning lane where I would, where I had to turn down to, mm-hmm. to try to miss the van. Cause then I would, I would have hit them head on. There's yeah. nothing I could have done about it. And the second thing is, is that nobody was riding my ass because if they were, they would have slammed into the back of us and made the wreck even worse. Yeah. So those are two major things that, I mean, this could have been a five car accident if I, if somebody would hit me from behind and there was a car here and I hit this van that flipped around and hit another vehicle. Right. Like it could have been a lot worse. Yeah. Just uh, the fact that there were, there were no other vehicles there because mm-hmm. if they would have been right there, there'd have been no time to react right. for those people. They would have just been into the pileup. Right. So I don't know. I, I just feel like if it's ever one of those deals where the universe is trying to just open your eyes to some shit Mm -hmm. that I feel like that's what's happened the last two weeks. Yeah. On top of the fact that it's a newborn baby. And like, if we weren't podcasting today, I probably wouldn't know it was Sunday. Yeah. (laughs) Like all the days have just rained together for the last couple of weeks. Right. And you know, you, they, they say sleep when the baby sleeps, but when you're nervous because you're a newborn parent mm-hmm. or a new parent. Yes. And you just want to make sure the baby's breathing at all times. Right. Even when they're sleeping. Yes. You have to sleep in shifts. And, you know, and then also when you're feeding the baby every three hours and all this kind of stuff. And I know I sound like I'm just complaining because people go through this all the time and I get it. I just, you know, it's just those things that anybody who's listening that doesn't have a kid and maybe is thinking about it or whatever. These are the kinds of things that you, that, you know, kind of open your eyes to ahead of time. If you can at all. I doubt that most people think you're complaining, though. Anybody who has been, I I would say a majority. I've known some parents are just like, eh, you know, put the baby in there, let it sleep. I'm going to go do my thing. Well, that's the that's the second that's, or third kid, though, right? <laughs> I mean, not necessarily, but definitely by then. Um, but most parents, I think, I think because I was the same way with newborns, especially. I'm just constantly just watching them 
uh, making sure that they're breathing, you know, and as they start developing, I'm just, I'm, I'm doing little things to make sure that they're hearing me or they can mm-hmm. see, or just constantly just watching them. And it, I'm, I'm sitting there hovering over them while they're sleeping and thinking if they open their eyes, they're going to think I'm really strange right now. Cause I'm just looking at uh-huh. them like this, Yeah, you know, <laughs> but I, I think that's pretty common. Well, one thing that I actually think helped it, it, it was miserable for us because we couldn't hold them or anything. But so when he was under the lights for 24 hours, mm-hmm. He was under. He was on a light, and he had light above him. So, with the lights being above him, they had to put this, um, these got not goggles, but uh, basically a shield over his eyes, or he couldn't see anything. Yeah. So I tried my hardest to make it a point to be close to him a lot and talk to him, so he could get used to my voice. Yeah. To where it would calm him down. Mm-hmm. Um, because I mean, you're a newborn baby, and you can't see anything. Which I mean, I guess they're used to that from being in the womb. But still, like when they're out just enough to where their eyes are opening and stuff, and now all of a sudden you're putting, they're covering their eyes again for yeah. an hour at a time or three hours at a time. And then uh, you get a half an hour where you get to see things. And then, you know, so um, I don't know. It's just, I, I think, I think it's helped a lot because I can tell in his, um, his actions when he's crying and stuff. Mm-hmm. If I get up close to him and I and I talk to him and I say his name, I can tell that it calms him down. Yeah, you so, got to remember too. He's been hearing your voice for a long time. Yeah, that's true. For the past nine months, he's yeah. heard you. Yeah, you know, maybe not the full nine months, yeah, but right. since he's been able to hear, he hears his mom, of course, mm-hmm. the most. But he he's heard you outside there too. Yeah. So and also your your intuitions uh, were were on point because the attachment of the child to the caregivers is very important for the remainder of his life. Yeah. How, how we attach to our caregivers in the first year of our lives, especially the mother, but the father plays a super important role too, because, you know, of course I, I won't get into that because there's so many differences in, in, um, the, uh, makeup of, of a family, you know? So, mm-hmm. but in, in like your family, your, your role is going to be so important. That voice is going to calm him because he's known that voice, Longer than he's known anything else other than his mom. Right. You know, and then you also got to figure that he was comfortable in that womb. Like he had it made in there. He, you know, he had a tube to feed him and mm-hmm. he was just floating around, chilling, didn't have to worry about opening his eyes or, or anything like that. Then he's thrust into the outside world. Mm-hmm. And so he, he needs that comfort because he's facing all new things now. It's, it's a completely new environment. Right. Obviously, his brain's not formed enough to be able to process all that, but. Still, instinctually, instinctively, he is, you know, having to deal with the, you know, the earth and the the air and being outside of his mama, and right. so it's a lot. So, I think your intuition there was that's what and that's what parents do. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy when you think about it because all of a sudden you just start thinking about things that never even would have occurred to you in the first place. That 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 would be something that you needed to do, but suddenly you're looking at this child and you're like. I need to do this because A, B, and C. Right. All of a sudden, just out of nowhere, we just have those instincts that kind of kick in. And um, that's what good parents do, though, man. That's what, what we do. The weird thing is, like, there was... I was never nervous, like, at all throughout the entire labor, th- throughout anything. Even when she was, like, pushing and I could, you know, see him, like, he was coming into the world. Like, I, I never... I was never nervous. And it's that's odd because I'm I'm kind of a... Wouldn't say I'm anxiety stricken, but I, I have a lot of anxiety mm-hmm. in in situations, especially like high pressure situations like that. And I don't know, it was just weird. Like it was, I don't know, I don't know what it was, but I like I mean, my heart rate never raised. Like I was never 
never nervous. And maybe it was just because I was more worried about my wife. Um, like anything I got going on, that means nothing at this moment. Yeah. It's all about making sure that she's as comfortable as I can get her and, you know, and, and making sure that I can try to do as much as I can to coach her through all this stuff and, and all that. So maybe that's why I was never nervous. Cause I wasn't worried about my own shit. I was worried about other people and her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just maybe odd. Your instinctive, like caregiver calmness comes down. Like it, whenever there's a crisis, you know how you can just like your kid falls and, and hurts themselves. You, you don't sit there and think, Oh crap. You know, what am I going to do? You just go right to the kid and try to address whatever's wrong with that at, at that particular point in time. Right. Maybe that's what's kicked in, but it was the opposite for me. Like Karen, when she was having my son, she was cool as a cucumber and I was about to pass out. <laughs> and maybe because she was so cool that I, I had the, you know, the freedom to be so nervous. Uh -huh. and I, I was, I, I didn't, I, and I didn't see it coming. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that I was going to freak out like that, which I wasn't like, you know, physically freaking out. But the doctor could tell she, she was down there, you know, like a, like a, like a football player waiting <laughs> for the baby to come out. And she looks at me and she's like, are you okay? <laughs> I was like, why don't you watch the baby? I'll be fine. <laughs> she was literally, she told me that she was worried that I was going to pass out. Yeah. Which I didn't feel like I was actually going to fade out or anything, but I was nervous. I had, I had one, I didn't physically feel anything or feel like I gave a, a, a reason for them to think that, but the, um, the doctor looked at me at one point and goes, you need to sit down. And I, I didn't f physically feel anything. Like mm -hmm. I was fine throughout the entire thing. And, uh, and I was like, I'm good. She goes, okay. I just, I thought I seen like a flicker in your eye or something like, you know, you needed to sit down or something. She's like, we've had people pass out all the time around here. It's like, no, I'm fine. I'm good to go. Let's, let's do this thing. Maybe you were too calm. That maybe, maybe she's maybe like, she's that guy, <laughs> that guy's too cool. There's something wrong. <laughs> yeah. Is he breathing? <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. And the last point I think to appreciate is the trucks itself. You know, I, I one of the main reasons I love the truck so much is I've driven a truck now for 14 years myself had some before, but this was like, you know, my mainstay truck for the past 14 years is j the durability of them. You know, um, if you would have been in a car, the outcome might not have been so great. Right. You know, it might, it, at least it might have been a little bit more, you know, a little closer of mm -hmm. a call. And, you know, my daughter, she's about to turn 13 and she has earmarked my truck as she wants that for her first, her first vehicle. And I'm good with that. You know, yeah. I'm, I'm going to, as long as I can keep it in, in good enough shape for that much longer, I want her to have it because if something would happen, they're just more durable, especially than the little cars that you could buy nowadays. Yep. You know, they don't make them like they used to. Right. And they really don't. Yeah. I will, uh, 100% if, if they do total my truck, I will 100% be getting back into a Silverado, Yeah, a Silverado or a Sierra. One of the two, I mean, mm -hmm. they're basically the same truck. They're just different. Yeah. names on the truck but uh yeah i after after that wreck i'll definitely it it it, it makes you a little more worried when you are when you're not in a, a truck you right. know because anything that can happen at any day any time you know and you can be in whatever vehicle so that's the crazy thing if you think about it though i mean you've been in three wrecks where the car's been totaled you've come out unscathed you know um I, I haven't been in a serious wreck. I had one wreck where my car got jacked and I hit my head pretty hard on the steering wheel, but it, it's surprised that it, it's surprising that, you know, more people aren't dead from, from car wrecks. Just think about it. I mean, we're out there every day just driving. It, it's a normal thing. And you're like me, I think in, in the sense that, especially nowadays for me, when I was real young, I was a little bit careless behind the wheel. Um, but I am, I'm, I'm a very 
good driver, careful driver. I'm not like what you would consider a defensive driver where I'm the slow grandma on the road that is causing more wrecks than anything, but I'm always anticipating what someone else could do. Mm-hmm. If I see somebody pulling up the stop sign, I watch to make sure they're, they're, that they're looking at me and that mm-hmm. they make that stop. Yeah. And if they start to come out, I start to veer just a little bit just in case and my foot comes off the gas and starts to go toward the brake. I'm not going to react and slam my brakes or anything like that, right. but I'm constantly assessing them, constantly looking at my rear view mirror to see who's coming up and what they're doing. You see cars swerving on the road, so on and so forth. And I, I don't think that most people, at least a lot of people, are like that, mm-hmm. you know, to be to be driving like that. If something's going to happen, chances are it's going to be somebody else's fault, not mine. Right. And it's not that I am, which I am a great driver. I think I already said that. <laughs> but it's not just that, though. It's just that I, I'm watching. I'm, I'm careful and I'm anticipating. And I can see people all around me all the time that are just not. Yeah. They're not even like trying it doesn't seem like to watch what they're doing not to mention the drunk drivers i've seen people who are were passing out the wheel which i it looked like they were probably tired could have been nodding off because they were jacking heroin or something i don't know but it was like literally you could see them and the car would go like this i'd be behind them on the four lane highway mm-hmm. you know and i would slow down and for a while i'll follow them until they just slow down where i can pass them and get away right you know but I, then i feel bad because i'm leaving somebody else to that that wreck that's about to happen right you never know, man. It, it's amazing that we get out and we have this agreement with other speeding chunks of metal going by at 60 miles per hour that, hey, you stay on your side, I'll stay on my side. Let's not drink. You know, let's not make sure we're not falling asleep at the wheel and keep each other safe. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, and the tiny, and I know people complain about it all the time, but literally the tiniest things like your blinker is a big freaking deal, man. It is. You know, and my, uh, my wife, makes comments all the time. Like if we're driving and we're getting, we're cutting it close on like a yellow light. I'm the one that's always going to stop. And she's like, you can make it. You could have made that. You could have made that. And I was like, maybe, but Mm. what's an extra 30 seconds of sitting here at a light. It's not that big of a deal. It's not going to make us late for anything or whatever, you know? Um, and, and she'll, she'll make the comment too. Like if I'm sitting in an intersection and say, I'm at a stop sign, but the, the right away is the people going in front across in front of me. And they'll, uh, you know, maybe come, maybe coming down the road or the highway and they've got their blinker on, like they're supposed to be turning right next to me. You know how many times that I've seen people just accidentally have their blinker on? Right. And if I would have pulled out, they're going to smoke me right in the side. Yep. You know, so I'm always paying attention to that until, until I can physically see that their vehicle is slowing down with that blinker on, I'm not moving. Right. I'm, I'm not taking that chance. So. Yep. Not to take it for granted mm-hmm. is a huge thing mm-hmm. for no blinker or blinker or no brake lights. You know, that's a big one, too. Mm-hmm. You ever get somebody behind somebody who you don't see their brake lights and all of a sudden you realize you're way closer to them than what you were five seconds ago mm-hmm. and they're getting ready to turn off to the left or something. And man, that's, that could be a killer, yep. you know, totally. And I'm, another thing I do is when I'm with my daughter, especially because she's, like I said, almost a teenager now. When things are going on, I'm telling her about it. I'm I have a dialogue going to mm-hmm. try to give her the insight into that, so that when she does start driving, hopefully that you know internalizes and she thinks about being more careful because she heard me talk about it so often. Right. I mean, that's you know that's another aspect that I never thought of because I haven't had kids that old, of course. But you know, if you have a kid that is a young teenager or you know maybe only a couple of years away from actually being behind the wheel of something. And you notice that they're just like on their phone the entire time they're in a vehicle. They're not going to learn what they should be looking for and stuff like that. Like you need to 
be making sure that your kids are alert in the vehicle too to mm-hmm. what is going on. And that dialogue is perfect. Yeah. Like at least keep them in the loop of what you're seeing. And then maybe even ask questions after a while of like, did you see that? Did mm-hmm. you see that wasn't a good thing? Or, you know, see, see how they did that. That was perfect. That's how you need to do it. And, yeah. you know, things like that. So at least they kind of get it, start getting it ingrained in their head on what they need to be doing when they get behind the wheel. Yeah. They get used to thinking about those things. Yeah. And the more time you've got, which, you know, there is a too young, you know, you don't want to do it when they're six. Yeah, they're, right. They're not going to yeah. give a flying rat, you know. <laughs> but, you know, when they're 12, 13, mm-hmm. start doing it. Yeah. You know, get, give yourself that three, four year buffer yeah. to, to really start working on them. And hopefully by the time they're, they get behind the wheel, then it's, you know, starting to sink in. But uh, I, I'm careful, you know, because sometimes I, I'm not going to say I never text on my phone, you know, especially a short thing. Hey, I'm here or, or, or hey, I'm on my way, whatever, when I'm driving. Um, I, I try not to, but, but now I'm very careful not to do it for sure in front of her, mm-hmm, right. you know, because what's she going to think when she's 16? Well, I remember dad texting on the phone, you know, well, yeah, your dad's 43 years old too, though. And I've been, been doing this for a while. Right. It doesn't, that doesn't work though. Nope. You, you know, kids are more likely to, that they, they watch what you do more than they listen to what you say, yep. you know? Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to things like that, you got to lead by example. Um, the do as I say, not as I do. Not with kids, man. Yep. Don't even try it because <laughs> they're, they're gonna they're gonna show you what's up. They're gonna do what you do a lot of times, mm-hmm. or what you don't do in some cases. Yeah. You know, they they can be contrarian in that sense too. But guarantee anything like that, I don't want her to ever pick up a habit from me, especially while driving. Mm-hmm. It's gonna put herself and, and other people at risk. Right. You know, there's already too much risk out there as it is. My my excuse, I guess, and I, of course, don't do it. Like, I, I haven't touched my phone in the car when Marshall's in the car at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but before my getaway free card, I guess, was if I, if I was going to text in the truck, I have a, um, a phone holder up on the dash right. to where in my head, if I'm do, if I am going to text somebody, I've still got my eye, my head straight in front of me. To where my eyes are kind of like, you know, back and forth to where I'm still driving a straight line and I'm still watching the road and what I need to be watching. Mm -hmm. Of course, it's still not good. I shouldn't be doing it. Um, But if I ever do that, that's always my plan. But dude, I'm telling you, I see people going 75 miles an hour down 55 highway and their eyes are straight down at their lap with with using their knees to steer the car while they're texting. And then maybe have something to eat in the other hand. I'm like, how... You're just asking. You're asking right. for a massive wreck. Mm-hmm. I, I don't. I don't understand how. Because it's one of those things too. Even if it's not like they, their knee slips and they veer off the road and, and hit somebody or whatever, if there's something that happens where it requires quick reflexes, mm-hmm. you're not ready. Yep. You're not ready to make that split decision to, you know, turn one way or the other, hit your brakes, maybe hit the gas. Who knows? Mm-hmm. You know, you, it doesn't matter. You're not going to be ready for anything. Right. One thing you're going to be ready for is if somehow, some way, just keeping, just keep going straight is going to be the best option <laughs> yeah. without looking. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. Distracted driving, it's a dangerous thing, man. Absolutely. So, the highlight of my my couple weeks is trying to dig out a stump in my yard. Um, okay. That's that's been the highlight of my weeks. So, is like, how are we talking? What, what are we digging with? Like a shovel? Yeah. Um, I went out and bought my first chainsaw. It's not a big one. First one I've ever owned, you know, and coming from my lineage, that's, that's sad because <laughs> <laughs> all that, you know, that's, they, they were sawmillers, but, uh-huh. um, yeah. So, so what my plan was to dig around the stump 
as far as I could if I couldn't get underneath it because it's a big stump, right? But it's old. It's been dead for a while. So my, my plan was to get underneath or dig it out as far as I could to where I could like see the bottom where the roots are starting to come down mm-hmm. and saw it off. I can't find the bottom of this thing, dude. <laughs> it's crazy. I think this thing is rooted in... China? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> at least Middle Earth because I can't find it. And so I think what I'm going to do, I'm going to give this a shot. Today, actually, I have to get this done. Also, the kids start school tomorrow, so busy day. But I'm going to drill holes into the stump itself and into the big roots that I've unearthed, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pour some accelerant in there, and we're gonna we're gonna burn it out. There you go. I don't know what else to do. Hmm. So my my plan is I want to plant trees in the two circles that I have in my front yard that haven't had anything in there for several years. Mm-hmm. I want to go ahead and plant some trees in there, but that stump's it, it's a big one. It, it's it's killing me. So anyway. Sounds like uh, fun. A lot going on, though, otherwise, um, in the world, uh, and, and closer to to our purview, to our, our hearts, is what's been going on in the bodybuilding world, mm-hmm. especially with the passing of John Meadows. Absolutely. Very sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I, he has been a, 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 an unofficial trainer for us, <laughs> <laughs> and I haven't always been very happy with John. Uh-huh. Be- it, uh, not that I talked to him. We haven't talked to him in a couple of years now. No, actually. but I, w- I would almost say I've heard you cuss him more than <laughs> <laughs> I've heard you say good things about him. <laughs> Only because he makes me work so hard in the gym. Uh-huh. Uh, and, and what happens is you will uh, follow his YouTube videos very closely. And he's got such a, a wide variety of extensive workouts for the different muscle groups. And and they're effective, you know, you you know they're effective because it's John Meadows and right. because he is who he is and he, he does what he does. Mm-hmm. But it's also I I have been able to experience the effectiveness of his his routines in my own body. Mm-hmm. You know, you can see the the finished not the finished product but the ongoing product mm-hmm. of that work. And so he's been an unofficial trainer for us for a while now, and uh, it, it's it's sad to see him pass, especially so young. Mm-hmm. I th- Man, I, was it 46? Is that right? Is that how old he was? Uh, 46, 48, something like that. I should, man, I should have had that available, my bad. Yeah. It's, it's in the upper 40s, 46, 48, I believe. But Yeah, I mean, we were actually in talks on trying to get him back on the show again, too, yeah. at some point and all that. And I, I, my jaw dropped like the day that I heard that. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't believe it. Mm-hmm. And, and at first, I, people just kept saying John. And I was like, no way. It's not possible. And like it didn't even click. I mean, he had a heart attack not too awful long ago, mm-hmm. but you know, they said that he was fine as, you know, his heart was fine and everything. And I still never got a for sure on what exactly, um, caused his passing. I don't know a hundred percent. I've, I've heard some theories, but even, yeah. even people that were close to him didn't know a hundred percent at the time that I was asking. So right. um, it's not my job to, to ask questions yeah. and dig into it, you know? Um, one thing that I do really like though, is we both seen that someone started to go fund me for the family and they raised $250,000. Yeah. That is insane. His reach was, was extensive. Mm-hmm. He was a prolific dude, especially in the bodybuilding world that, that you and I are the most familiar with, at least, especially myself, but mm-hmm. the one that we're more intimately involved with that being, you know, our friends, Scott McNally and, and, and Scott Stevenson and Austin Stout, Austin Stout. And, yeah. Yep. And just that whole crew, man. Um, every, those, those folks all loved John. Mm-hmm. Everybody who knew John loved John. Yeah. My nephew, um, loves John Meadows, you know, and mm-hmm. he's just a, just a beginning bodybuilder, you mm-hmm. know, just working out. But 
Um, the guy was just a, he was a, a, a great personality, you know, and you could tell just by listening to him on a video. But then once you started listening to a lot of his stuff and kind of following him around, you could tell that dude was a really good person, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously very knowledgeable and he was accomplished and just an all around. It, it's a loss for everybody that he's gone. Mm-hmm. It really is. And it, it shook the, the bodybuilding world. At least, you know, the the portion of it that, that we're speaking of. And, and beyond that, his family, of course. And he just, he really touched a lot of lives. That sounds kind of cheesy and sentimental, but it's true. For a guy like that, he really was that that guy. Mm-hmm. He was he was a good guy. And we had talked to him on the podcast. And he was no different there than what he, he was. Yeah. Just very cordial, very personable. Um, couldn't ask for a sweeter human being. Yeah. Yeah. And if you, if you talk to anybody who was close to him um, or anybody who just followed him, they tell you that he was one of the good guys in the industry. And it sucks to have to say that. And I think about that every time because I've said that about several people in the industry. Um, And I'm not in the industry, so it probably makes me sound like a douche by saying in the industry. But, I mean, that's really what it is. And everyone will tell you that he was one of the good guys. Yeah. That means that there's a lot of businesses out there there that are are shady. There's a lot of businesses. uh, companies that put out products that are complete shit, but they market well mm-hmm. and they, and just cause it says this on the label doesn't mean that that's exactly what's in that, in that, you know? Yeah. Um, so he was somebody who was stood by his word on everything that he did, whether that be products that he put out, what, um, you know, he was part of iron rebel granite supplements, mm-hmm. um, you know, and, and just the following that he had on YouTube, he was and the all mountain that, dog. Yeah, he was a mountain dog, man, and and people trusted him and believed in him wholeheartedly. Yeah, and there was a good there was a good reason for that. And I'm still gonna I'm still gonna use all his knowledge and stuff from videos on YouTube and all that kind of stuff to, uh, you know, just to further my passion of lifting and bodybuilding and all that because I know that he's somebody that I can trust mm-hmm. and that what he tells me to do, I'm gonna I can do and believe it that it's gonna work. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and on, on the. On, on the topic of being like not in the industry, as you mentioned, you're a close follower of the industry, though. Mm-hmm. And, and so you, you can tell, you can delineate in a lot of ways who, who are the good guys. Mm-hmm. You know, just, and you could do the same with the music industry. You know, we follow the music industry enough to know who the, the real jerks are and to know who the good guys are, you know. Yeah. Um, and, and so that, that's no different there. But um, he, he was a class act, man. And, He's going to live on, though. Luckily, he put out all that all that information, you mm-hmm. know, on, on YouTube. Another thing I really liked about him was that he would he would focus at times on workouts for guys who are getting older, you know, into their forties and up into their fifties and things mm-hmm. like that. And he would talk about how because you know he had been training all his life, you don't want to do certain things because when you do get up in in those ages, you're going to feel it later, mm-hmm. you know. So it's better to played a little safer on this end than if, if you listen to a younger guy, obviously he's going to say, no, you just go balls to the wall because mm-hmm. that's what younger guys do. The risk aversion is right. way down. You know, as you, as you get older, you start trying to mitigate that risk a lot more. Right. And so being able to listen to someone with that kind of experience who had the insight to, to put out content geared toward that kind of insight, mm-hmm. you know, that nobody does that unless you like actually care about people right. in general. Mm-hmm. Right. And so that's, I think I think it's an easy call to say he was definitely a good guy in the industry, yep. for sure. Absolutely. And as you alluded to, there are some other people in the industry that are um, 
Well, th- there's some waves out there right now that are being made, you know, and specifically we're talking about Redcon 1. And they're pulling away from anything Arnold as an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. But they have recently decided to pull out of anything Arnold because of some of the recent statements made by Arnold, <clears throat> excuse me, by Arnold on a CNN interview. Mm-hmm. So, um, give me your take on that. We're going to listen to a clip in a minute, but kind of give me your synopsis of what we're working with here. I almost think we should just listen to it first. Uh, reason being is because there's a lot of, I think that what is happening is people are taking things out of context. And I think that there is one, I, I take that back. I think there's two very small clips that Arnold uses in here. And this is not me taking it up for Arnold. This mm-hmm. is not me taking it up for Redcon one. This is just me stating a point that there are two small clips that are taken out of a four and a half minute video that people are just blasting out there mm-hmm. and are furious with Arnold and people are pulling away from Arnold and everything because of what he said. Yeah. Uh, I want people to listen to it and make their own distinction on what they, th- how they think this works. Mm-hmm. And the problem is, is that not to badmouth anybody, but people are still going to look at it the same way. You know what I mean? People are still going to, whether they listen to the four minute video or they, or they just listen to the clip, they're going to hear just what he says in that clip and probably take it that way and think that he's against them now or whatever, or anti, you know, whatever. So I don't, I I don't necessarily know that he is, um, but I want to play it and let people kind of get a, thought process going before we give our opinions yeah, on it. That's a great synopsis. And because I think you've alluded to something that is definitely going on here and it's been going on with the media for a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know if you remember in certain instances, not to spider web too much, but there was an instance where there was the, um, there was the native American. And there was a picture or a video, a short clip. Maybe it was of the younger kid in the make America great hat um, and it showed what it showed was a clip where that young man was taunting the Native American. But if you watch the bigger clip, and I'm not taking it up for you know the Trumpster or anything like that. It was just the this is the the way the media works. Mm-hmm. But if you saw the, the the whole entire video, then you saw it was something that was that was different that actually had taken place. Mm-hmm. You know, because the media they spin things to to um, back up their their story. They have a narrative. And they want to reinforce that narrative, and so they take shorter, th- you know, portions of whatever's going on, and just put that out, just to, you know, provoke emotion out of the the populace, and to, in, in hopes that that small clip is going to be the first thing you see instead of the big clip. Because if you see the small thing, a lot of people are just going to be like, "Oh, well, that's what he said." They're not even going to take the time to watch the whole big thing. That's what I was going to say. They probably won't ever see the whole thing. Right. All they're going to see is that small clip, mm-hmm. and so they're going to take that and they're going to run with the narrative. That's why I believe nothing. But if you bring up a great point, and um, so let's get the clip ready, and let's play that. And so it's about four minutes long. It's a little bit long, but I think it's worth playing the whole thing to get the entire context out of it because he says a lot, mm-hmm. and then we can kind of discuss whether or not he's, you know, dissing the freedoms that we that we enjoy here in this country. Okay. So Arnold Schwarzenegger on a CNN interview. Here we go. First of all, you have to understand that as soon as the virus happened and we have uh, finally people, more and more people uh, from government have, you know, kind of acknowledged the fact that there is a virus. Uh, And they were kind of very late, may I remind you, in warning the people 
but finally when they did warn us and they did spread and we had to kind of cancel our Arnold's Classic Sports and Fitness Festival in Columbus and we were only allowed to have a limited crowd last March, uh, meaning a year ago, a year and a half ago, uh, that's when I realized that we all have to now come together on this thing. And so I started putting posts out there about washing your hands regularly and wearing a mask and to do social distancing and to follow the kind of rules that the experts put out there and to face the fact that this is here and this is going to grow and it's going to expand and it's going to really affect a lot of people's lives. And uh, so now, cut year and a half later, we are still in a mess. And, uh, you know, there's still people that live in denials. There's still people that don't believe in masks. There's still people out there that say, well, we don't have to do social distancing and all this kind of stuff. And I just think that uh, people ought to be reminded over and over that the experts are saying that we have to wear masks, especially when you go indoor. The experts are saying we still should wash our hands regularly. We should still do social distancing, especially now with this new comeback of the virus, which is the fourth round now, uh, that we have to really go and work together on that. And uh, there is misinformation out there. And my point of it was basically, look, I'm an expert on how to build a bicep. And so, therefore, I know exactly what I'm talking about. I've studied this issue. I know exactly how to create this peak and all this stuff. There's no one that knows more about a bicep than I do because I studied this issue for 50 years. And the same is also with the virus. There are people out there that are experts that study this year after year after year and that are experienced, like Dr. Fauci, that has been in this, uh, you know, probably for his entire life. I mean, why would you not believe someone like that? So, and there's so many other scientists out there and experts on this subject. So I believe them and I follow them very carefully. And of course, sometimes uh, things are happening that are unexpected. So then you have to make the adjustments in order. But I think people should know there is a virus here. It kills people. And the only way we prevent it is, is to get vaccinated, to wear masks, to do social distancing, washing your hands all the time, and not just to think about, well, my freedom is being kind of disturbed here. No, screw your freedom. Because with freedom comes obligations and, uh, and and responsibilities. We cannot just say, I have the right to do X, Y, and Z. When you affect other people, that is when it gets serious. It's like no different than a traffic light. We put a traffic light at the intersection so someone doesn't kill someone else by accident. So this is why we have a traffic light. You cannot say, no one is going to tell me that I'm going to stop here, that I have to stop at this traffic light here. I'm going to go right through it. Yeah, then you kill someone else, and then it is you doing. So this is the same thing with the virus. You cannot go and not put a mask on because when you breathe, you can infect someone else, and you can infect someone that then gets sick and may die. So this is why I think we all have to work together on this. The only way we can lick this virus is, again, if we do like I suggested earlier about politics, we have to come together rather than fighting and always just saying, this, according to my principles, I, this is a free country and I'm going to have the freedom to wear no mask. Yeah, you have the freedom to wear no mask, but you know something, you're a schmuck for not wearing a mask because you are not supposed to protect your fellow members around you. It's just that simple. So this is the way I feel about it, and that's why I am out there and talking about it and tweeting out about it and doing videos and all this kind of stuff because I want people to understand 
Uh, I don't want to villainize anyone here, but I just want to tell everyone, let's work together and let's stop fighting because there is a virus and it's better to get vaccinated than to wear a mask. That- okay, so there is actually a lot to unpack here. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can, I can t- break down everything he just said there and there's some good and I think there's also some some arguments for the way that he's talking about things. Mm-hmm. Um, but let's give a little more of a uh, a preface here about what we're leading into. So Redcon One, supplement company, arguably one of the biggest companies in the nation. Is that your understanding? It's it's a big one. They're they're big. They're they're newer though. They um, so the owner was, has been attached to several other pretty decent sized mm-hmm. companies. Um, but this is his the, his new baby. Okay. I'd say new. I, it's it's probably been a few quite a few years now. Yeah. But uh, they're they're like. Um, what's the word? They're not military based, but the, like like all the uh, names of all the products are like yeah. military terms yeah. and like flashbang and you know and other stuff like that. So um, how heavily marketed to <clears throat> yeah. military and first responders and you know yeah. so yeah they definitely like kind of like a a back the blue or, or just very veteran oriented mm-hmm. type of um, approach yeah to what they do. And so they were one of the primary sponsors of the Arnold Classic. Um, uh, and so this is according to their own website. And so they're, because of Arnold's statement, uh, specifically the Screw Your Freedoms statement, they are pulling their sponsorship away from Arnold. And pretty much anything that's connected to Arnold, they're going to pull mm-hmm. because of that statement. And so the, the logic there is that this is once again according to what's his name Andrew is that right what, what's the owner's name what's his uh, Singerman Aaron Aaron Singerman, Aaron Singerman. Mm-hmm. according to Aaron's own statement um, he, he talked highly of Arnold but he said our base you know our, our the, the base that we sell to are, are military folk they're veterans they're first responders freedom is what they do it's what they care about mm-hmm. and so to say something like that they had to make a tough decision and their decision was to pull away from Arnold so that is the the, the the origin of this of what's going on in the supplement world and with Arnold I don't even know if this is on Arnold's radar I I have no idea probably I mean he he probably knows a little something about it but with them pulling from the Arnold Classic I would say it's probably I mean that's a big reason to be on his radar um I just didn't know how much he was intimately involved with like the actual at this point of the coordination and the actual facilitation of the Arnold classic or cause I know he has people, you know? Yeah. My, my initial reaction to this and when I sent this to you originally, I mm-hmm. told you that I feel like this is a shitty move all on Aaron Singerman's part. Um, because I think it's a monetary gain situation. I think he's trying to pander to the people that he, his base, um, military, uh, and basically, not even just like their base, but anybody who's anti-vax, anybody who's anti-mask, anybody who is completely against this, doesn't believe in it. I think that they're trying to pull a, a move that they think that, you know, these people are going to agree and start buying Redcon 1 products, even if they don't now, because they, Redcon 1 believes in what they believe in. Could that be wrong? Maybe. That's just my opinion. Um I just know that Aaron Singerman's been involved in some stuff in the past. I'm not going to dive into any of that. Mm-hmm. Just some shady stuff in the past. Um, and it wouldn't. And I've talked to some people who are in the bodybuilding industry who kind of agree with me on that. Uh, you just have to know what you're looking for 
and understand it, I guess. Mm-hmm. So um, I don't know that I necessarily agree with what Arnold said wholeheartedly. Or I take that back. Maybe I don't agree with how he said it. He probably shouldn't have said it the way that he did. But I think in general, what he's just trying to say is that we need to be looking out for each other. Mm-hmm. And if the small thing of wearing a mask, because you know, we talk about this over and over again. You can have COVID and not know you have it and still pass it to somebody. Right. Well, they're saying that the way to not pass it is, or, you know, it, it passes in droplets from your mouth. So they're saying that if you wear a mask, it'll prevent that. So putting a, you know, a little cloth covering over your mouth and nose can prevent that. Right. That's really what Arnold's trying to say. We need to be looking out for each other. And, but he, he's, so adamant about it that I think he came across the wrong way and said a couple of wrong things that he shouldn't have said. He shouldn't call people schmucks and he shouldn't have, you know, said screw your freedoms. Yeah. The reasons why he shouldn't call people schmucks and say, screw your freedom, (laughs) not just because, you know, the ethics or whatever, you're going to hurt somebody's feelings. Why? Right. What happens is when you turn on someone's defense mechanism in their brain, they stop listening. Yep. And this is what a lot of people are doing nowadays. They're attacking people who are you know, anti-vax is one thing, but vaccine skeptical, vaccine, I think the, the, the official term is vaccine hesitant. When people are vaccine hesitant, if you really believe in the vaccine, if that's really like you feel like that's a calling that you need to spread the word and convince people to get a vaccine, Calling them names and, and and getting impatient with them is the exact, you're going to get the exact opposite of the result that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Exactly the opposite. And that goes with anything in life. Like you turn on someone's defense mechanisms, bam, they stop listening. They build up that wall. Yeah. All they are, are all of their, their concern about that point in time is defending whatever it is that they're trying to defend. And it doesn't necessarily have to be their position on, on vaccines. It's almost like they're defending their, their selves as a person because you, they're feeling attacked just in general. So your approach is off, man. Um, but, and there are some other things that I disagree with just in his, and it's not just his, I think, you know, I think a lot of people on both sides of this issue and the vaccine in, in specifically, because, you know, wearing a mask and washing your hands, especially washing your hands, people should be doing that anyway. Right. I mean, I, I am somewhat of a rabid hand washer. It's like, it, it's a thing that I, I do. And I've always done for as long as like, well, since, since I was an adult for sure. But, those things and wearing a mask that's not invasive, right? And taking a shot—that's not the same as going through a traffic light, right. right? Yeah, you're putting other people at risk, but the traffic light isn't like putting something in your body that people don't know the long-term effects of, right? right. So people who make these analogy, these connections together—they're not—they don't hold up, not not for someone who actually thinks about it, you know. And so your arguments, a lot of the arguments that folks like Arnold are putting out. They're, they're too dissectable, and that causes people to be suspicious, mm-hmm. you know. Come up with some better stuff, you know. Don't talk about going through a traffic light because it's not the same as injecting something into your arm that you don't know anything about. And the other thing, the other problem I have is that, you know, that they relate to the experts, the experts, the experts. So Fauci this, Fauci that. Well, okay, but those people have changed their, their stories a lot of times. Let's take conspiracy off the table, right? Let's take all of that stuff off the table, uh, of any kind of nefarious intent. They've been chasing their tail for a while now with this with this uh, virus, you know. And I, I'm not saying it's it's not necessarily reason to doubt them altogether. I think it's a reason, though, to at least question 
But in today's, like, in the culture, especially the social culture, there's a lot of social pressure right now. You can look on social media. People are tearing each other apart over this this subject. But it's okay to question. It's okay to have those questions. And right. then when people attack you, all it does is reinforce the reason why you had questions in the first place. Right. Because it's being politicized. It's all just my side versus your side, you know. And so... I find some things. I don't think overall that Arnold has bad intent with this interview. You know, I don't think so. And keep in mind, I don't have a pony in this race one way or the other. I don't use Redcon One products. And, you know, Arnold, he's a respectable, you know, person and has been for the past 50 years, I guess, whatever, just in bodybuilding and acting. And he was the governor. I mean, the dude's done some stuff, right? right? But, you know, I don't really have a pony in this race. Like, I'm not pulling for one side or the other. Um, what about agenda wise? Does, do you feel like there's an underlying agenda for Arnold? From, for Arnold, like like the, like this is a uh, maybe there's money involved that is trading hands to Arnold to push push it this way. Well, I mean, he even mentioned himself that the Arnold Classic was you know shut down right last year. Last yeah. year, yeah. And, and so, and it was. What, did it happen this year? And was it socially distanced? Was it compromised? I don't remember to be honest. I'd have so, to look into it. I mean. So that that's that's something that's personal to him. Yeah. You know, he has a little personal stake in in things staying open and, and, and whatnot. I wouldn't doubt that there's you know there there's something like that that's backing it up. I'm not saying he's you know getting money under the table for endorsing this. I don't know. You know, it, it's funny because I, I I had this general question, right? What is the difference between the COVID vaccine now and something like the polio vaccine? back in the 50s. It's like, was there a difference? Did people have the same kind of apprehension and, and paranoia for the, getting the polio vaccine that they did the COVID vaccine? So I started doing a little, and I've asked this question to other people too, and they've also started doing some research because I, I think it's poignant. You know, I think it's something that really should stoke your curiosity. You know, what's different about now? And so it's funny though, one of the, one of the things out of our research that we found was that there was a, a, um, a marketing campaign for the polio vaccine as well. And there was a picture of Elvis getting a shot in his arm back in the 50s and smiling, you know, he's getting the polio vaccine to promote it and, and to convince others to get it as well. And so that kind of using celebrities as a marketing tool to try to ease everybody into it because celebrity worship has been around, you know, since the dawn of celebrities. I mean, it, I mean it's the same thing as if a you know, a celebrity's doing a Viagra commercial, you know, exactly. it's the same exact thing. That's right. Except, yeah, it, that is right. We're just talking about a, a virus instead of a right. limpness. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no, no, it's the same thing, any kind of endorsement, you mm-hmm. know, and so they use celebrities to push, you know, this, this as well. So could that be a part of it? And that's why you're seeing a lot of celebrities, but it's also like split down political lines, you know, just like climate change, just like gun control, just like everything else. All of a sudden now the virus vaccine, it's getting better now. More and more Republicans, conservatives are getting and promoting the vaccine. And uh, whether you want the vaccine or not, I, I think that's a good sign. Just the fact that it's just not strictly another thing that's being politicized. Yeah. I, I think that's a good sign. It feels like it is. But Well, you, you, you've seen that, uh, so you know, none of these... Uh, vaccines are FDA approved, right? That's correct. But they're supposed to be, from what they're saying, is that um, the Pfizer vaccine should be FDA approved by as soon as tomorrow. Okay. That's what I've seen. I don't know. 
I don't know the inner workings of, of that kind of thing too, because to me in my head, I could think maybe money's changing hands to push it, to push it through, to be FDA approved. You know, I don't know if that's how that works. I would imagine there's, it could be. Do you know how much money Moderna, Pfizer, Johnson Johnson, how much money they've made off these? Oh yeah. This is, and these, these are not free vaccines. They're being paid for by tax dollars, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is no such thing as free when it's coming from the government. It, it, that doesn't exist. There is no, you know, ferry that brings down money to give the government. You know, it all comes from the taxpayer dollars, and it is one of another one of the big, big shifts in wealth, an exchange of wealth from one place to another to these drug companies. That being said, I mean. Does that mean it's one big conspiracy? Not it's just it's happening. It is it is what it is, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so there's a lot of money that's that's behind all of this too, whether you like it or not. Whether whether the vaccine is absolutely necessary or or not, the the shift of money is happening, mm-hmm. right? And you know some other things that he said that really um, I, I think you got to pay attention to is that freedom in. in I'm going to get back into what Redcon one's basic premises to, and my kind of my take on it. You gave your take earlier. Mine's a little different. Okay. Um, you know more about the industry than what I know, but just at the surface level, I'll give you my, you know, just my opinion. Um, but I do think freedoms are important. Absolutely. It's not just the, the freedom itself. It's the idea of freedom. It's the way that we approach freedom and the way that we frame freedom. Um, the way that we protect our freedom and what we give up for freedom, you know? And I think that it's, it's an old saying and it's used over and over again. And I'm not trying to align myself with the folks who are spouting this on the internet, the anti-vaxxers, all that, you know, I'm not interested in aligning myself with those people, but you know, Benjamin Franklin, I believe is who said it, you know, if you give up your freedom for security, you deserve neither. Right. Um, that's an overused concept, but there's some truth to it as far as people are scared people are scared and they're they're responding emotionally to their fear in in a way i think arnold was kind of doing that too you know he's like why don't you schmucks just go you know well he's saying wear a mask when schmucks or screw your freedom we'll get the vaccine or whatever right Mm -hmm. once again when it comes to wash your hands and the mask that's, that's no big deal do it just you know just do it who cares but when it comes to putting something in your body you know in this this uh um, mRNA vaccine, which, you know, it's a spike protein. It changes your stuff, man. It, it, it's, it's doing something to your body that it, the body wasn't doing before. Right. And it's because of this outside influence that happened. Um, something that was out of your control. And, and now they're, they're, they're forcing you basically, because once the FDA does approve these, these vaccines, there's going to be a mandate. It's coming. It's mm-hmm. coming. They're already using business like uh, commercial pressure and social pressure. And they're just going to tell you, you have to do it pretty soon. And to me, that is whether I, you know, whether I or anybody else chooses to, to vaccinate or not, that's scary. It's scary. You, the government says you have to do this or else. What do you think about uh, you saying commercial pressure and stuff like that? You know, we've just recently found out that like there's several music venues up in St. Louis that are mm-hmm. requiring, if you're going to go to a show, you either have to have a proof of at least the first shot mm-hmm. and, uh, or if you don't have that, you have to show proof of a negative, negative, um, 
COVID swab over the past, like within the last three days, I think it is something like that. Yeah. Something like that. Um, you think there's money behind that or do you think that's just venues taking that stance and just making that decision? That's kind of hard to say. Uh, I don't know that the, like, you know, in, in my imagination, at least I can imagine that government says, you know, whether it's through tax breaks or tax hikes or whatever the case may be, they're putting pressure on the businesses to do this. Um, and that could come in all kinds of forms, forms that I don't even probably have an awareness of. Right. Yeah. But I also think that it is the businesses just kind of wanting to promote themselves to the coming tide, I think, socially as well. Because if you, if you think about it, if there were enough people who chose to push back against this vaccine, the businesses would change their minds real quickly, mm-hmm. right? Because you can see the difference between businesses in our area, which is much more rural, versus businesses in the St. Louis area, which is much more urban. There's a difference between their their mask policies and and their their push against you know whatever the the opposite of what they are for. So the urban areas are more likely to push for mask vaccines, so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Rural areas, not so much. Right. They're like you know come take them. Yeah. Um. They're just not going to comply so much. So I th- I think that the I, I don't know the answer to that question. I just have some speculation. But well, they they may be trying to just get ahead, just get ahead of everything. Anyways, you know yeah. maybe they. With the variant that's you know hitting hard and stuff, maybe they just see this stuff coming down the pipe and they're just like, well, let's get ahead ahead of this thing. We can still have people here. Let's just make sure that we're being as safe as possible. And then when things do get you know dropped on them, they could be like, listen, we've been doing everything we possibly can yeah. for you know since before this mandate happened to try to keep people safe. Yeah, I think it's overall just business wise too. And this is probably the most the most realistic practical answer. Now that I think about it, is that the more people are, are you know homesick with COVID and can't get out, the less business they're going to get. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So if the vaccinations work and the masks work, you know, then they have they're more likely to have people in their seats. Whether it's um, the pageant in St. Louis, now the factory did the same thing, mm-hmm. which I'm going to be attending the Gojira concert in, at the factory nice. in November. So I'm really looking forward to that. Cool. Um, the Cardinals. The blues. I think we've talked about the blues before. Mm-hmm. Like they, they want they they got to have people in those seats if they're gonna continue to do what they do. Well, they were doing a. I don't know if we talked about it on the show or not, but they were doing a, a thing where if you go to a was it a preseason game? One of the preseason it games. Was, yeah, it was something. They like were that. they were having a setup where you can go get vaccinations. They'll yep. give you like they'll give you tickets and stuff. Right. Yeah, you know, they'll give you the jab and 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 reward you for it. Right. Yeah. So you're getting a free shot. Right. Free. Uh-huh. But. You're getting the shot that you don't have to pay for on on hand, and then you're also getting a little extra. So you think? So you think you say free, like with uh, quotation marks around it? Do you think think government's paying the blues for doing that? No, I just think the shot is we don't like. Like I was saying earlier, oh, okay, it, okay, it's, okay. it's taxpayer funded. I well, okay. So, so my, my my thought was okay. Well, they're losing money because they're giving away these tickets to people who are getting the vaccine, but that money, you would think maybe that money's coming up from somewhere else. Oh, no, no, no. No, I, I think the the free stuff is viewed as an investment into the future. I feel like I'm very money conspiracy-minded today for some reason. I, like, I, I like it. I'm liking it a lot. <laughs> well, I, I can just, relate to I, this. I don't know. There's just, I'm just questioning it mm-hmm. because now it's like opening up different avenues in my mind of like, oh, well, money could be going here to make this happen right. or here to make this happen. And, and I think that's that's where you should always let your conspiracies lead you. Yeah. You know, I mean, there are some pretty far out conspiracies, you know, with the lizard people, things like that, the reptilian race. 
you know, those are those are bogus, you know, in, in my mind. But you start getting into where the money, follow the money, mm-hmm. and, and I think you start tripping over some some real <laughs> stuff out there. Yeah. You know, it just so happens to be conspiracy because it's not proven, and in a lot of instances can't be proven. Yeah. Because you'll get disappeared if you actually uncover something that that's for real. Mm-hmm. But um, no, I, I think that it's all those all that's possible. That's why conspiracies to me they they are theories. But I think they're theories that are worth spending a little of my time on, mm-hmm. because I, whether you, you know, a lot of people just fall in line with what they hear, mm-hmm. right? I hear the same thing from Arnold. I hear from all kinds of people out there. It's the same line. It's I, I saw an emotional response to one of my Facebook friends. I don't even know the guy personally, you know, but he seems like a decent guy. Uh, he's like I said, a social media friend, and that's it. But his whole tech, his whole post was the unvaccinated are driving this variant. And that was all he said. Okay, where's your science, for one thing? You lead me to something here. Mm-hmm. But, but it, it was just an emotional response. And he ended up posting something, and it was anecdotal from an NPR, um, National Public Radio interview with some lady who, you know, and I feel bad for anybody who loses anybody to the to the COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, you know that, that's just terrible that people get sick and, and suffer and die. But this was just a lady on NPR who was talking about a family member who con- was in contact with someone? No science behind it whatsoever, but that kind of a quote, that kind of a statement, can can catch fire and dry. And I've seen it over and over again on social media. Mm-hmm. It's just people who are responding emotionally. Arnold's like t- you know what he's saying there. It's the same thing that I'm hearing all, all all over the place. And let's flip it around the other side too. I hear a lot of the same stuff on that side as well. The anti-vaxxers, you know. Um, not just conspiracies, but you know they're they're driving a lot of the same taglines. It's an emotional response. Why can't we just talk about it, like you know, and try to come to a pretty decent overall consensus conclusion about what the best thing to do is, and approach each other with some respect and with you know take the emotional tone down. Let's take the logic up. You know, one of my partner Sam, she works in the mental health field with me. One of her favorite taglines is when your emotions are up here. Your logic is down here. Mm-hmm. Okay. So in order to get your logic up here, your emotions have to be down here. Right. And, and she's absolutely right. And you're seeing all kinds of emotional responses. Another reason why when Arnold says, screw your freedoms and you're a schmuck, those are emotional responses mm-hmm. to um, whatever whatever agenda that he has that he's trying to push, mm-hmm. you know. And so COVID, I guess, you know, people use COVID for their agenda. It, but you know, in my mind, the agendas were always there. It's just another, ins- or another you know circumstance or tool that they have yeah, to try to get done whatever it is they're getting done, whether it's making money or gaining power or just razzing on people on social media. You know. Well, I haven't seen a reply from Arnold. If there is one out there, I haven't seen it yet. Um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious on. I'd like to be inside of his mind right now and know what he thinks uh, because I could honestly see it going one of two ways. I could see him apologizing, um, not apologizing for what he said, but for how he said it. Yeah. You know, coming out and saying, I was very emotional in this interview because I, I feel deeply about this and I really think that people should be looking out for other people. And this and the other, I shouldn't have said, screw your freedoms or I shouldn't have called people schmucks, whatever, you know, just emotional about it. Or I could see the other side of it too. You know, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if, I don't know what direction, because I, I, I could kind of see him if, if he was going to just stick to his guns, just come out and say, okay, we lost Redcon one. I'm fine with that because I don't want to be attached, you know, basically come out and say the same thing that Aaron Singerman said and said that I don't want to be attached to 
you know, somebody who doesn't believe that we should be looking out for each other and, you know, this, that, and the other, mm-hmm. and then just letting the war go, go with him and Aaron Singerman. And it's just videos back and forth about, you know, and then people just choose sides how, which is what everybody's been doing anyways. Yeah. You know, choosing one side or the other. So the, the, my thought process too is like military wise, Redcon one, you know, a lot of their base is military and first responders and people like that. I wonder how many people, like how many of that base agree with Redcon one or agree with Arnold? Cause I, you know, I know a lot of, I know a lot of people in like military that probably still got vaccinated, probably believe in wearing a mask and believe in helping other people and, you know, and those kinds of things too. Right. So I, my, my question is, I don't know how much of that base that Redcon one is actually reaching that they think that they're reaching. Yeah. It's, that's, it's hard to speak to that. Yeah. And how could you, I mean, you could read social media comments, but you know, that's, <laughs> that's legit, that, right? That's, yeah. That's where we got, that's where I get all my information. <laughs> um, so yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know how to answer that, but I, I can, I can speculate once again a little bit, you know, uh, because you're right. There is a cross section of, of people within the military first responders community who are going to be, you know, mask wearers, and there's going to be a cross section where they're anti-mask, anti-vax, you know, I, th- I think all around. I, I think the problem with this is, is not the, the, the mask, the vaccine part of the statement. He, he's, he's, Basically, whatever Arnold meant with his emotional response, he he basically said, "Screw your freedoms. The collective is more important than your your individual liberties." And that's exactly the opposite of what this country is built on. You yeah, know, it is that, that that's a socialist communist type of uh, approach. You know, it, I, but but you also know he's just taking the statement. I that, yes. that, that Arnold really probably didn't exactly mean how it came across. It was an emotional response. Yes, mm-hmm. right, right. And that's what we're that's what we're getting across the board with a lot of people are these emotional responses. Yeah, you know they want to say that Fauci knows everything about this virus. He's been doing this for so long. Okay, but he's also backtracked on several items. You know, are they going to backtrack on this? You don't know. You know, so to say something like Fauci's the expert, I'm going to do whatever he says. Eh. Yeah. You know, it's okay to question that. Is Fauci right? Maybe. Hopefully. Right? Hopefully yeah, we can get right. out of this thing and he, he can ride off into the sunset the hero. I'd be absolutely fine with that. I think you know, a lot of people would. And not everybody. Some people are, you know, mm-hmm. probably hoping for his demise. But that would be great. But I'm still going to question some of the things he says. And I think that's okay. You know, and that's the freedom that we don't want to lose. You know, and I think that from my perspective, that's kind of where I go. But. I think it's based off of that and off of his emotional response that Redcon one is um, firing back at. And, and, and here's my opinion of the whole thing from a very surface level, base level, not really considering of the history behind like Singerman or even Arnold, right? Just from this, this um, statement that Arnold made in Redcon one's uh, statement that uh, followed that Redcon one, they have a philosophy and, and a marketing approach, or I guess you could say a foundation of a certain cross section of the population that they kind of gear their product toward. Right. Um, and so they market to the military first responders. That is their base. So to build a business off of that philosophy to, for the, to have that foundation, um, if you don't, and, and it's, it's a foundation, it's, it's, a that population is very, um, they're, they're very passionate about you know, freedom for one thing, right? 
So that that's a huge deal. It's not just something small, like mm-hmm. especially for your military. And a lot of your first responders and police officers are veterans of the military. Right. So to for someone to say something like that, and if it does, and I don't know how much of this is where I don't know for sure, is how much of a response it elicited from those folks before Redcon 1 made a deal of it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But if it did, and if your base was upset, then obviously this is this is the foundation of your business. Yeah. You're going to have to protect that. Right. Is that for money? Well, I mean, the, the business is for money. That's why he started the business in the first place. It's not a charity organization, right? Yeah. This is a business to make money. Mm-hmm. And so if you're going to upset the very foundation and the fundamental elements that they so strongly believe in... But, but, re- then, but really, are you... I mean... In in that case, is anybody who buys Redcon One products, if Redcon One, if an Aaron Singerman and Redcon One would have never came out and said anything about this, are people going to be like, "Oh, well, Arnold Schwarzenegger said this, and Redcon One's not saying anything about it, so I'm going to stop buying their products"? You know what I'm saying? Like Aaron Singerman put themselves in the spotlight on purpose for this whole scenario. Well, that could be. Like I said, I don't know how much of an emotional or how much of a response in general that Arnold's statement would have elicited. Yeah. With Redcon One's um, consumer base. Yeah. Had they not brought it up in the first place. Yeah. But let's say for, for a, an instance, not taking Singerman's, uh, his ethics and his personal anything into account. Let's say that he built that Redcon one company with like some real beliefs about freedom and Liberty. And that, then that's why he marketed to this particular population. Right. It wasn't just strictly a, a business scheme, a marketing scheme, even if you don't want to like e- even if the, the base didn't catch on and, and take Arnold's statement in a way that they felt like, well, I'm not going to buy, you know, Redcon one because they sponsor at Arnold. Um, even if they didn't, if you're a company that built off of that premise, then don't you want to reinforce that premise? Don't, don't you want to show that your base that we are really serious about this and, and that it wasn't just a marketing scheme? It could go either way. I understand. Yeah, I, I get it. it. So I understand what you're saying, and, and and the that premise tied to the fact that this could be a money maker too, because he is a businessman. I get it. It's a business, mm, right? I'm just saying I don't. Maybe my personal beliefs, whether I agree with whoever, I don't know that this was the right move. I think it was more money backed than anything. Could I, could I be wrong? Maybe. Could, you know, his his Aaron Singerman's uh, background have nothing to do with anything involved in this? Maybe. Maybe he's coming at this from, like, you know, a, a just a general point of view. Like, this is what our brand stands for. Mm-hmm. We need to come out and say something about it and pull away from Arnold. But if I was Aaron, unless he just doesn't, unless he just thinks he's just a blip on Arnold's radar... I would have tried to made something bigger out of it if that was the case. You know, just pulling out of Arnold Classic and just making a video saying that we're we don't agree with this wouldn't be enough for me. I would have I would have tried to call Arnold out on it and to and try to get a back and forth with him somewhere because that would have been a moneymaker right there. And I I think you're kind of uh it, it almost takes away from your own point, right? Because if it was really about just a moneymaker, wouldn't he try to really squeeze it for all it was worth? You would think. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. Maybe he just didn't think that far ahead. Maybe he should have had you as a consultant, <laughs> marketing <Yeah>. consultant. <laughs> right. 
But no, you're right. That that would and in today's culture, that that could have played out well if he mm-hmm. could have elicited a response from Arnold. He could have rode that. He could have rode that pony into the sunset. But right. In my initial response to you when you first texted me about this happening, was that I thought it was pretty ballsy to to disengage from anything Arnold when you're in the the bodybuilding industry. I mean, it seems like you're shooting yourself in the foot there, mm-hmm. right? And so that that's what got me thinking down the the logic that I that I am questioning. I don't like I said I don't really know, but I think it's at least possible. But th- that's what got me down that path is because if you're pulling out of anything Arnold when you're in that industry, you, you gotta. I mean, it just seems awfully risky to do that for money, you know, because the Arnold Classic is where all these bodybuilders come together, and if you're a major sponsor there. Mm-hmm. That's why you pay big money to be there in the first place because you're going to make big money while you're there. You're going to get a lot of um, exposure and people who use your products. So there's going to be a lot of word of mouth, especially if it's, you know, if you are returning year after year mm-hmm. as a major sponsor there. So you're like, you got your your heels dug into that culture pretty strongly if, if you've gotten that far into that industry. Mm-hmm. And so it just seems to me like a pretty ballsy move if you're if you're trying to make money by doing the opposite. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't know. And maybe, I, I don't know. There, there's no telling what behind the scenes kind of things we might not know, you know, yeah. what's going on. But it's definitely interesting. I, I, it's definitely an interesting, worthwhile point to talk about because a uh, pretty big supplement company who is at odds with probably undoubtedly one of the biggest names in bodybuilding. Mm-hmm. And at one time he was like the the guy. He right. was he was the one to aspire to mm-hmm. and the one that inspired so many to get into bodybuilding in the first place. Right. So very interesting topic. And it's, of course, it's it's surrounded by so many of the other topics of our time with the vaccine and, mm-hmm. and with, the, you know, the mandates and all the things that are happening and people are unsteady right now. Even the emotional responses that I see, I, I get it. I understand. I don't agree with the emotional responses on either side because they're doing, it's having the opposite effect and all it's doing, if there is a control mechanism, which of course I believe there always is, even, even though the virus itself is not a conspiracy. And that's another thing that Arnold was saying was that the virus is real. People are dying. I think we're all pretty much aware of that now. Mm-hmm. I, I think your argument there, you know, you can, you can stop beating that horse, right? Um, and I think that the, the major issue is, is the vaccine for people. And I, and I agree that you, you can't couple things like mask and washing your hands or a traffic light with the vaccine, you know, because you are injecting something foreign into your body that you're, I mean, and regardless, I, I know Fauci is an expert. That doesn't mean that people trust him. Right. That doesn't mean that he's, <laughs> you know. Okay, he knows some stuff, you know. Well, well, Donald Trump knows some stuff. You know, uh, Joe Biden knows some stuff. You know, doesn't mean that people trust what they say. Right. Just because this guy's got doctor behind his name. And it, it, once again, aside from the nefarious intent, you know, just the, the I, don't, I think they're chasing their tails a lot too because we don't know what we're dealing with. It's a new thing. Coronavirus isn't new in and of itself. It's been around for a while. But this pandemic, this was new. None of these people had ever been through it before. And you have this vaccine that was rushed through. And, of course, they say it wasn't rushed through, but it's still not FDA approved. Well, you know, and the, the problem, they can't be sued the, the, for nothing ever. The problem is there, though, as you say, <clears throat> some people say that it wasn't rushed through. They say they've been working on it for years. 
then you have the people who are really skeptical about it. Like, well, what the hell were you working on it for years for if you didn't know this was coming? Yeah. You know, so. Well, like I said, coronavirus isn't new. COVID, yeah, COVID right. isn't new. I mean, you can, you can look on the, we've mentioned this before, but you can look on the back of a, uh, what you might call it, one of the spray by the disinfectant mm-hmm. and it, coronavirus has been listed on there for a long time. Yeah. It, it, it's not a new virus and it's just awfully fishy that, you know, to some degree that they knew this was probably going to happen because they've been working on a vaccine for it. Yeah. Um, but there's more than that. I mean, the you know, them not wanting to admit that it came out of the lab or not in Wuhan. Like, so what if it did? Why are you not wanting to admit that? Well, I think it's probably because it ties back to the gain-of-function research that Fauci's organization authorized a couple of years back, and that's probably why it leaked from the lab. Who knows? We're never going to find out for sure. But yeah. the, the point is, when you start, the freedom is important. and the, the One of the most important things of freedom is the ability to be able to talk. It's the freedom of speech. And people are trying to shut down the argument, the, the questioning, the hesitancy, you know. Help people to understand the vaccine. Help them, you know, explain to them the, the risks and the reward or, you know, try to empathize with them. Try to understand that not everybody's built the same as people who just want to fall in line with, you know, whatever the government says. Right. You know, or the media. Or maybe, maybe you don't just want to fall in line, but you come to terms with the fact that, this is the right thing to do, and so you do that. Okay, help people explain it. Help people understand that, mm-hmm. you know. Don't use emotional responses, and I, that's where Arnold really went wrong, in my opinion. Yeah. And you just don't attack people's freedom. Not not like, not military and, and first responders, yeah. or just, just a lot of people, and they feel like that's what's happening. Yeah. You know, so I, I, that's, yeah, emotional response. Not good. Well, something before we get out of here that kind of caught my eye yesterday. I was scrolling through social media, and I seen several people make posts about how they've got COVID right now, mm-hmm. okay? And, you know, of course, we don't want to see anybody get COVID. But the posts that I've seen were coming from people who have COVID who have never had COVID before, but got the or they're fully vaccinated, okay? Mm-hmm. Which we know that this is happening everywhere. This is the phenomenon. There, People are saying that there's more vaccinated people in the hospitals than there are unvaccinated, and this, that, and the other. I don't have science, or I don't have the numbers to back that up. I don't know, but... Mm. Um, I've seen several people say stuff like, uh, thank God I'm fully vaccinated because I, this could have been so much worse and I would hate to see what Corona COVID would have done to me if I wasn't vaccinated. And it's like, but how do you know? Like you never had it before you got vaccinated. So mm-hmm. how do you know what it's going to do to your system? Right. I know what it did to me. It, it wrecked me for six days straight. Yeah. I never felt like I was going to die, but it's the worst sickness that I've can ha- that I've ever had that I think I, I can remember. Wow. I mean, I literally laid in bed for six days mm-hmm. just to get up to go to the bathroom and eat a little bit. That was it. Um, but you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's just weird to me to, to make that kind of statement that you think you're thankful that you got vaccinated because this could have been so much worse. Maybe, but you don't know. Mm-hmm. You have you have no idea. So how can you make that statement? Yeah. Because that seems like you're pushing the agenda of everybody should get vaccinated because if you do get it, it won't be as bad, but you have no idea if you've never had it before. Right. Right. So I don't know. I just, it caught my eye when I seen that. I was like, I don't, that's a weird thing to say. There's just a lot of regurgitation, man, mm-hmm. uh, of so-called facts, you know, and, and, and the changing of the, of the narrative, you know, at first it was, you know, um, we're going to uh, flatten the curve, you know, with social distancing and lockdown and things. Well, that didn't work. You know, and, and I think most people f- did what they were supposed to do with the mask and the staying at home. And it changed a lot of things. And a lot of people suffered because of it with businesses and things. 
And then it was like, okay, that, that, that didn't work. So we're going to get this vaccine and it's going to kill this thing. Yeah, that didn't work. It's, it's not, it's not killing it. Well, then it's like, okay, you know, if you, if you get the vaccine, you're not going to be able to spread it. And that's, that's not working either, you know? So there's just, once again, they're chasing their tail on a lot of things. Not to say that they're not trying and not to say that it's, it's not a good idea to get the vaccine, you know? Um, but that's why there, there is mistrust out there. And, and people on the other side regurgitate a lot of things too. Um, because they're, they are saying, you know, like you heard that there's more unvaccinated in the hospital than vaccinated or vice versa, right? I, well, I, I've also seen the opposite. You know, I've seen where they, they stacked up numbers where most of the people were in the hospital that were unvaccinated. If you, if you are vaccinated, then it, keep, it lowers your risk for being in the hospital. And I think the death rate is near zero if it's not zero for if you're vaccinated and get COVID. Mm-hmm. That's a good thing. Yeah. You know, that's definitely a plus. And you don't just do that for yourself. You do that for your family and things like that. But the narrative coming from the vax side is that you're killing people if you don't get vaccinated. Eh, you know, you, people are still spreading it. Uh, for, to get, for you to get vaccinated is a good choice for you and your family, you know. But to say that you're going to spread the disease and that, like I said, that, that mm-hmm. guy on social media said the unvaccinated are driving this variant. Eh, you know, I, I need to see some more science on that and... Mm-hmm. I haven't seen anything on that, you know, not that it's not out there, but they just, they regurgitate information and he might've seen that on, on somebody who posted maybe the same thing and he, it made him scared. It made him angry. How could people be out here doing this to, you know, I've got family. I have a grandma out here and a grandpa and you know, whatever, immunocompromised people. How could you be doing this to my family, putting them at risk without really thinking about whether or not it's actually true. Right. You know, so mm-hmm. there's, and that's why it's so hard to navigate through this stuff and to help other people navigate through it. It's like, mm-hmm. we all just need to take a chill, man, and, and take a step back and at the same time, protect your freedoms. I'm not a big Ted Nugent fan, but I saw his post. He don't care, man. He'll fire back at you. You know who Ted Nugent is? Oh, yeah. Um, he'll fire back. And he said, because um, he's an anti-vaxxer, and he said... You know, what makes you think that my freedoms aren't as important as your safety, you know, or, or that my fears aren't as important as your fears? Because I fear the government taking over and telling me I can't leave my house or that I can't go into a business. He goes, if you're scared, why don't you stay home? He's like, if you're scared, why don't you wear a mask? You know, if you're scared, you get the vaccine. Leave me alone because my fears aren't the same as your fears. You know, and I think that <laughs> there's a little bit of validity to that, man. And I'm I'm not supporting his his stance. I'm not supporting you know any of that. But I think he's got a pretty valid point. You know, people want us to fall in line based off of what Dr. Fauci says. I, I got to be honest with you. I don't think Dr. Fauci gives two shits about any of us. I think he's doing <laughs> what he does for a job. <laughs> so you do what you do based off of your convictions. That that's and, and and allow other people to do the same. Right. And try to take a step back, keep you and your family safe, whatever that means for everybody. But allow other people to express themselves too, and, you know. And, and it, that's the way we're all going to stay safe and continue having freedoms. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, give everybody some space. Quit being jerks. Don't do that, Arnold. Stop. <laughs> Stop calling people schmucks, Arnold. <laughs> <laughs> Quit being a jerk. He can be as big of a jerk as he wants. He's got all the money that he can. It's true. Don't have to worry about it. Very true. All right, man. Hi. Wow.